Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Daily Premier League news and views. This is Football Social Daily. Are you keeping up? Well, you're in the right place to do so. This is Football Social Daily. We've just ticked past those elusive Boxing Day games. You think that you've taken them all in, but then you find out there's a couple that you might have missed. But how could you have missed last night's game between Leicester and Liverpool at the King Power Stadium? Leicester City victorious by a goal to nil, which means that Manchester City now lead the way in the Premier League by six points. It's been chaos over Christmas games falling foul of COVID, games called off due to injuries and there are some more games in the next couple of days that have had exactly that fate. Newcastle United put in a real gutsy display against Manchester United on the 27th of December but in the process they lost three key players. That means their next game will be called off. We'll discuss whether this COVID cancellation policy is the right way to go. Plus, we'll talk about Manchester City losing a player, but not through injury or through coronavirus. They've simply sold him. Ferran Torres has gone to Barcelona and there are a couple of other Premier League games to mop up tonight as well. We'll do it all in a bite-sized podcast today on Football Social Daily, your daily Premier League show from us here at Sports Social. My name's Niall and joining me to do it, we've got Jim Salverson and Joel Tudor. Merry Christmas or late Christmas wishes to you boys. How are you doing? Merry Christmas. Really good time. <laughs> That's like, like a goat saying Merry Christmas. Merry <laughs> <laughs> Christmas. That's very nice of you to describe me as the goat, Niall. Well, if you're the goat, Jim, Joel's the turkey by going by what you were saying earlier on. <laughs> Yeah, that took a, that took a lot of those at the weekend. So, yeah, we're feeling good, a bit worse for wear, but in a in a good position to to lounge on the sofa and watch the rest of the Premier League games of 2021. There are a couple of games taking place tonight, which we'll talk about very shortly on the podcast. But first of all, let's focus on last night's late kickoff between Leicester City and Liverpool at King Power Stadium. Now, we did do a podcast yesterday, last night, in fact, about all of the other games that took place on Boxing Day, including big wins for the likes of Arsenal and there were other wins as well for uh, Crystal Palace, Southampton managing to tie with Tottenham. So all of those games will be looked at on yesterday's podcast. But for today, we'll look at last night's late kickoff between Leicester and Liverpool. And it finished 1-0 to Leicester City, Jim. And I know that in recent 
weeks we've kind of lamented Jurgen Klopp and his whinging it seems to happen quite a lot and he's been on his high horse lately about the amount of games over Christmas the struggles with Covid and how we're not looking after the players enough and I think it's important to stress here before we go in on Jurgen Klopp that he does have a, a point massively he's got a point that player welfare is not at the forefront of the minds of those in charge of the game and yet it still was quite satisfying to see Leicester City beat Liverpool yesterday just because of all the moaning that he's been doing. He's not the only manager that has to suffer with this, but he's certainly been the most vocal. And I think there were quite a lot of neutrals yesterday that were rooting for Leicester City. And they got an unlikely victory, winning by a goal to nil. And I think the narrative here is Klopp's moaning about not being able to pick a consistent squad. Leicester City's back four was unrecognisable from what they'd normally pick. And they kept Liverpool at bay and won the game 1-0. I think the problem with Jurgen Klopp and his complaints about the schedule and player welfare is... Well, it's twofold, really. Firstly, it's the latest of his complaints. Because in the last 12 months, he's complained about refereeing. He's complained about the weather. Now he's complaining about the schedule for games. And it just becomes a bit tiring. It just seems like a constant strain of excuses coming from Jurgen Klopp. So I don't think that kind of goes against him there. And the other reason it goes against him is because he seems to think it only impacts Liverpool. There doesn't seem to be an appreciation almost that it does impact other Premier League teams. And he kind of feels like his team is being disadvantaged when every team in the league is being disadvantaged to a similar or the same extent. And yeah, sure, there are teams that are better equipped to cope with the congestion, i.e. Manchester City, but Liverpool certainly aren't bottom of the list when it comes to squad depth. There are certainly teams that are worse off than his. So I think that's where that kind of falls foul a little bit. And you're right, he makes some really valid points about welfare and even the quality of the league as well. But it's just the filter he's putting it through seems slightly off and it is getting the opposition fans backs up a little bit but as for last night as you say Leicester proved that you can make changes you can flip a squad and you can still take advantage of that and it was a really valuable win for them and probably more so a valuable win for Manchester City who have now got a six point gap at the top of the Premier League and they're playing later it could be nine points by the time we get into the new year. Yeah absolutely Man City now six points ahead at the top of the Premier League this was what we were digging up as a really exciting close run title race and now Manchester City have pulled away Chelsea also uh, are being left in the chasing pack as well so yeah uh, everything that we were suggesting going into Christmas saying that it's going to be tight and teams aren't really going to drop points well we're heading into the new year with City quite comfortably clear at the top of the Premier League but it just goes to show how quickly things can change I guess now Liverpool didn't uh, lack in chances last night, Joel. It wasn't like they were completely outplayed by Leicester. Kasper Schmeichel was in fine form, made some really good saves. But the key talking point from a Liverpool perspective was Mohamed Salah, ever so reliable from the penalty spot, misses one. His penalty saved by Schmeichel and then he heads the rebound up onto the crossbar. So that was a huge moment for Liverpool. And, you know, it's not often you say about Mo Salah possibly costing them points, but that might have been the case yesterday. Yeah, I wouldn't probably go as far as saying he cost them the points because... I think they were just they were off it like Jurgen Klopp said after the game they were just lacking a lot of intensity what their game is pretty much based on um, but there can't be any excuses yesterday regardless if Salah missed or not I mean they had a pretty fully strength side I would say apart from probably potentially Oxlade Chamberlain who um, came off just after half time but when you look at that Leicester side I mean 
and considering the form that we were in going into this game, you would have expected a way better result for Liverpool. I mean, I feel as though the fact that Klopp has been continuously going on about how they need a break and it's ridiculous that they have to play on the 28th and et cetera, et cetera. I don't know if it's just got into the player's head a little bit because if you tell players that you can play that many games, I think psychologically you'll believe it. But if you tell players constantly that it's not okay, then I also think players will believe it. And potentially this is a case that has been talked about for so much in these last days that maybe the, the players of Liverpool are starting to think Actually, no, we actually can't play this many games. And that's why the intensity's dropped a little bit. Um, because, you know, this time last season, they were in a pretty decent run of form. So it, I think it's just the case of the, the fact that there's been too much talk around it. And it's, and going into the fact that in January, they're going to lose Salah and Mane shortly as we get into January. It's not great signs for Liverpool at the moment. Um, if the shackles are starting to come undone, I mean, Manchester City have just scored 17 goals in the last three games. Um, and if Liverpool are starting to struggle to score without Salah having to bail them out, then I mean, January's not looking pretty delightful for them. Um, so yeah, it's six points, even though it doesn't sound a great deal at this point of the season. Manchester City just look like Ivan Drago. I mean, nothing can stop them at the moment. And nothing phases them as well, even when they start to concede, like when Leicester brought it back to 4-3 in their game. So, um, yeah, it's, six points isn't a lot, but Manchester City are just not going to drop that many points this year. So for Liverpool, I think it'll be a massive dent, especially with, as, as I say, um, Mane and Salah actually departing in January. And I'm sure they're going to go all the way in the African Cup of Nations, which isn't great for Liverpool fans either. Well, City have won pretty much all of their games recently, definitely over Christmas, and they've scored a shed load of goals in the process. Pep Guardiola's been vocal, Jim, about this whole player welfare thing and about how there's too many games over Christmas. It must be said that it is a quirk of the Premier League. No other league has this many games over the festive period, but it's part of the tradition of the Premier League. And it's something that when you come over to the Premier League, you have to deal with. And Ralph Rangnick, the Manchester United interim manager, ruffled a few feathers last week before Christmas when the Carabao Cup quarterfinals were on. Now, your side, West Ham, knocked Man United out of the competition. So Ralph Rangnick didn't have any of those games to worry about right before Christmas. But he did mention that maybe we're the only country with two cup competitions and everyone else has one. And even the French binned off their version of the League Cup to make the fixture scheduling slightly easier. Is it a case of managers coming over here need to just learn to adapt to the life of the Premier League? Because, you know, I mentioned Man City at the top of my point there, and that's because Pep Guardiola, when he first came over, and even in the last couple of years, has still been vocal about it. But I think now he's just used to it to a point where he just doesn't make as much of a fuss about it. And his side have gone about their business comfortably, scored six goals last time around, won all of their games, whereas Liverpool's manager has been very, very vocal about it, so much so that even there's been news stories and articles about it, and they've lost and drawn their last game, almost proving his point. But in the process, they've lost ground in the title race. It's quite an interesting narrative when it comes to the psychological aspect of it. I mean, Pep Guardiola loves the Carabao Cup now, doesn't he? It wouldn't be without it. Wants to win it every single season. And you're right, there's there's an element. And when you talk about this, it can be a little bit of coming over here, taking our jobs yes, yeah. kind of narrative to it. Yeah. But I, I, that, that, at the same time, that is kind of the situation. The managers who have come to the Premier League and taken these big high-profile jobs, Pep Guardiola and Jurgen Klopp and Thomas Tuchel, etc., etc., they know 
the job before they take it. They know exactly what the situation is and they know that around this festive period, the fixtures come thick and fast and it is part of the English football tradition. And I think most fans wouldn't want that to change because it's fun and it's nice to, when you've got your time off over Christmas, sit down and watch a game of football. And that isn't just for the fans' enjoyment. It's also the commercial value of the Premier League. Once again, it's like the games come at a time when more people can watch them. That increases your ad revenue. And also it comes at a time when other leagues maybe are taking their foot off the gas And so there is more of a world focus on the Premier League and that increases the status of the league. So that isn't going to change. And all these managers who are discussing fixture congestion and talking about the pressures on the players, no one's actually coming up with decent alternatives. No one's coming up with suggestions as to how this can change other than potentially dropping a Carabao Cup or playing the under 23s in the Carabao Cup or whatever it is. There isn't a realistic alternative other than dropping a competition at the moment. And again, I don't think any football fan wants to necessarily see that happen. So yeah, managers who come over <laughs> come over here, take these jobs, um, they <laughs> yeah. need to take that as part of the responsibility. They need to work out how to manage that period of intense games. And it should be every Premier League team at the moment, every single Premier League team has the facility to change its squad. It doesn't need to play the same 11 week after week after week. And that might be playing your fringe players. It might be playing your youth players. But there is the ability to rotate a team in there. And that is part of the challenge that managers should face and potentially should relish as well, because that is part of the job. As proven by Leicester City last night by beating Liverpool 1-0, this was their back four. Castagna and Luke Thomas are the fullbacks, which is... Kind of a normal sight to see, I guess you could say. Daniel Amate at centre-half, along with Wilfred and Didi playing at centre-back. Hamza Chowdhury started in the midfield. I don't think he's played a game in the Premier League for Leicester all season. So he slotted in there against one of the best teams in the league and they won the game. Kiernan Dewsbury Hall is an academy player who's been given a real chance in the last three or four weeks and taken it brilliantly. And then Iheanacho, who hasn't seen much game time as well, uh, being given the start up front. So last night in the Premier League, Leicester City beating Liverpool 1-0 at King Power Stadium, which means that Liverpool are on 41 points in the title race and Manchester City are top of the table by virtue of a six-point difference. And we'll be talking about Manchester City next because Ferran Torres has left the club. He's going to Barcelona. We'll talk about it after this on Football Social Daily. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Football's Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Welcome back to Football Social Daily. Now, we're not even at January yet. We're just a couple of days away, mind you, but there's already been some transfer news confirmed. It's not gossip any longer. Ferran Torres will be leaving Manchester City and he has gone to Barcelona. It was a very quick and swift move. I think this is testament to Manchester City. We'll come on to their policies in a second, but the fee is £55 million. They were using him primarily before he got a foot injury, uh, which kept him out of the last couple of months of the season, uh, as their lone striker. Even though he's primarily a wide player, they've been using him as the guy to go to through the middle because obviously since Aguero left and they didn't get Kane in the summer, City have got no striker. But they've not really missed him since he's been injured and now he's left the club. What's your take, Joel, on the whole Ferran Torres situation? Because he's no longer a Premier League player. 
Yeah, well, they clearly not missed him if they've scored 17 goals in three games. <laughs> um, but no, I mean, with Torres, they've got they've got seven players who are pretty much similar to how he is. I know he's got the best goals to minutes ratio in his City shirt, but obviously I think that's due to the fact that he's always been a bit part player for them and come into a game where, you know, they're 2-3-0 up and he'll add a couple more. Um, but... I think it's an amazing fee considering the amount of minutes he's actually played. I think the biggest part is just Barcelona need a player who fits their kind of future plans in terms of creating a team where they're not just buying kind of mercenaries and players who are kind of over the hill. They needed that young Spanish high potential player and I think he will end up coming into one of the best Spanish players in the next years for sure. He has shown that quality for City when he has played um, and you know the City squad is such a competitive squad where if Mares gets injured you're basically going to be out of the squad for not only just your injury time but the amount of time it takes to take your place back from the person who's just taking it from you because they end up making it their own again um, and I think obviously I think Barcelona received that huge bank loan to actually secure him. Yeah, but, 55 million quid they paid for him, Joel, but we were all under the impression that they had no money. So quite an interesting one for them to spend that much. And I think there's up to nine million pounds in add-ons as well. So if he goes on and wins La Liga or wins a Ballon d'Or or wins the Champions League when he's playing for Barcelona in the next however many years, um, they could City could be in line for another windfall there. Yeah, it's it's a huge fee. I was shocked when I actually saw it, but um, I think it's just the fact that his potential is so great. And obviously, I'm sure Barcelona have got massive kind of hands in all the pies in terms of the banks in Spain. And of course, Aguero's off the wage bill, Messi's off the wage bill. So I'm sure that there's more space, but I think it's the perfect signing for them because let's not forget, Barcelona have lost Messi, Griezmann and Aguero in the space of a year. And that's pretty much the whole forward line. So um, I think it's it's a glimmer of hope for Barcelona and Xavi just because in the past their recruitment has been absolutely poor in terms of the signings that they've been making, which is why they're in the position they're in at the moment. Um, and I think, you know, City will not miss him because, like I said, they have so many players who are in his position who are, if not better, or just as good and offer way more to the team. I do think he could have become a pretty good striker given time because I know Guardiola's kind of flirted with it a little bit at the, at the start of the season. But I think Pep Guardiola has bigger fish to fry in that department. Um, I'm sure the likes of, you know, Vlahovic from Fiorentina and Erling Haaland are going to be discussed. Maybe Harry Kane's going to get another say in the summer. So I think with Pep Guardiola, he's always wanted that actual main figure striker. You know, when you look back and he's had um, he's had um, Samuel Eto'o or Zlatan Ibrahimovic or, you know... These, <laughs> he these hates are the, Zlatan, doesn't he? They yeah, he had him for others. a period and then he kind of wanted him out straight away. But he's always had that main figurehead striker and obviously he had Aguero at City and Lewandowski at Bayern. So, you know, obviously he likes the false nine system, but... I think for 55 million euros, I bet the club have basically told him, listen, if he's not part of your main team and we can get this figure, which can go towards X, Y, and Z in the summer, let's do it. And Guardiola seems to have an attitude of, 
you know, if he's not happy, he can go. But I feel like there's a little bit of entitlement because, you know, City can get rid of anyone in that squad and happily replace him tomorrow with someone, if not better, for more money. So not every other club's in that position to do that. But yeah, it's a great feed to receive. And I think Barcelona are getting a great player which fits their future plans. Well, do you know what? Both of the points you make there lead nicely into what I was going to ask you, Jim, because with Manchester City, it's just no nonsense when it comes to the transfer side of things. Joel's right. Pep Guardiola says, if you're not happy at the club, you can leave. And they've sold him before the window even opens. So they know that he's basically on his way. They've sorted that out. They've got 55 million quid for him, which will go, no doubt, to a new striker or a new player in either this window, even though Pep says it won't happen, or the summer, more likely the summer. So first of all, your thoughts on how clean cut Manchester City's transfer policy is. It's absolutely no messing about. You don't want to play here? Fine, we'll sell you. And he's gone. And secondly, they might have got 55 million for him, but Barcelona have inserted a 1 billion euro buyout clause into Ferran Torres's contract, which works out at about 840 million quid. And the reason they've done that, I think, because they've done it with other players, Ansu Fati and Pedri as well, two young stars. They've also signed new contracts that have got one billion euro release clauses. Do you think the reason that Barcelona have done that is because, as Joel says, they can begin a rebuild? Because the whole football world now knows that Barcelona is in a weakened position and they might be able to pick off some of their better players for a reduced fee. Whereas if you sign players to a one billion euro release clause, the chances are they're going to stick around and no one's going to come sniffing for them. Yeah, it's just a great big sign saying leave these players alone, isn't it? It's a completely unrealistic release clause that's never going to be met. So that's exactly what they're doing. They know that they need to start again, Barcelona. They're in a real transition period at the moment. And if you're going to start again, you need an element of stability. And so that's what they're doing. They're bringing in key players. They're locking them into long-term contracts and they're telling everyone to just keep away, basically. So you can kind of see the pattern that Barcelona are going to be working to over the next couple of years and I mean never rule them out because they seem to have even when they're broke they seem to have bucketfuls of cash like a never-ending well of credit so they will be able to rebuild and they'll no doubt do it in a very efficient and successful way because they do it time and time and time again but as for Manchester City in terms of their transfer policy and the way they manage their transfers I think it's just a very professional well-oiled machine isn't it everyone in that club is pulling in the same direction and that is on one side it's the recruitment team who get their ducks in a row they identify their targets they work out their options and they complete their business quickly and professionally sometimes without even getting a whisper in the newspapers and the other side is the players on the pitch are all pulling in the same direction and that is vitally important to Pep Guardiola and his team he needs that dressing room harmony and if you're going to keep that dressing room harmony you need everyone in that team committed to the cause and we saw it with Leroy Sane and we've seen it with Torres again and I don't think Torres was necessarily unhappy at Manchester City but he probably wanted a little bit more game time. And at the end of the day, we see it with young Spanish players. If you're a young Spanish player and Barcelona or Real Madrid come knocking, you want to go and play for them because they are the biggest teams in your head because they're the teams you grew up supporting. They're the teams that grew up dominating your league. So if he wants to leave, they've got a good fee for him. Pep Guardiola didn't necessarily see him in long-term plans because as Joel says, they are very blessed in those particular positions. So why not let him go and maintain that dressing room harmony, which seems really important to Manchester City? Yeah, it certainly does. And with what's happened 
over the last few days with City now being six points clear, even with the departure of someone like Ferran Torres, Jim, and Pep Guardiola suggesting that there will be no signings in January. Do you think now that even the last two or three days has exercised City as favourites in the title race this season, or is it still too close to call? I didn't think they'd do it this season. I didn't think they'd be able to cope and compete with Chelsea and Liverpool without an out-and-out striker, but they've already proved they can. And Liverpool are dropping points now. Chelsea have been dropping points. They've not looked as good as we expected them to maybe be this season. I've no doubt that there will be another twist or another turn in this title race yet. I mean, Manchester City, surely they can't keep up the form and keep up the pace that they're setting at this stage in the season right the way through for another 20 games or whatever it is. But certainly six points clear now, as we said potentially nine points clear after this round of games completed. They're certainly building a lead. They they are easily favourites at the moment, but it just feels like there's plenty more of this Premier League story to go this season. I think the only thing that could surprise me now in the Premier League is if a asteroid came down from outer space and wiped everyone out <laughs> and cancelled the season because it seems like we've had absolutely everything else to deal with in oh, the last Jürgen two years. Jurgen Klopp so. would complain it had only affected Liverpool though. It was, the asteroid had only hit Anfield it was that was the problem everyone else should still be able to complete their fixtures the wind from the asteroid falling um <laughs> put Trent yeah. Alexander-Arnold off his off of his corners we shouldn't twist the knife in too much he does have a point when it comes to player welfare and that is in evidence when you look at Newcastle United who valiantly drew one apiece with Manchester United in their last game in the Premier League but in the process they lost their talisman Alain Samaximan their star striker Callum Wilson and also their tricky winger Fraser all that amidst Covid cases in the camp what does that mean next for Newcastle United? Football's Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Football's Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Welcome back to the podcast. This is Football Social Daily from Sports Social Now. Eddie Howe is the manager of Newcastle United now after Steve Bruce's departure and the fans have seen decent improvements to their team. However, even though the performances have improved, the results have largely stayed the same. They got a decent point against Manchester United in their last game, but really they should have won with Norwich keep on keeping on losing as well. Newcastle know that they need to start winning games if they've got any hope of survival. And that's that hope of survival is going to be even more faint now that they've lost players potentially for a long period of time. Callum Wilson, who's their only striker, it looks like he could be out for a a, a little period with a knee problem. Alain Saint-Maximin seems to have a bit of a muscle strain. And Ryan Fraser was brought off in that game against Manchester United as well. As well as COVID in the camp, Joel, they've got some real problems. Now, we don't know the magic numbers when it comes to a percentage of your team being out injured or with COVID. But we know if a team can field 13 players and a goalkeeper, then they're all right to carry on. The game that was set to take place tomorrow against Everton has been called off because of these injuries and COVID cases. And their next game after that is not set to take place until the 2nd of January against Southampton. It's looking tough with the injuries that are starting to pile up. I mean, it couldn't have come at a worse possible time for Eddie Howe. So I guess Newcastle will be trying their utmost to get this game called off, if that's even a fair thing to suggest. It seems quite convenient um, just because, you know, after the Manchester United game, they did seem to have a pretty decently strength side. And I know after the game, Eddie Howe said that the team's like on a knife edge in terms of cases and that kind of thing. But, you know, he fielded a pretty decently strong side and they ended up getting a good result out of it. It just seems to me as if teams are starting to bend the rules slightly just so it's convenient for them to actually 
get the benefits out of it because obviously if any of your players are actually injured just genuinely injured no covid cases then you still have to play regardless even if you can't field even if you can only field about 14 outfield players but then obviously if you have covid then of course logically it's a different matter but it just seems as though you know their two best players in uh, San Maximum and Wilson are now out of the game and suddenly they're not able to actually play the game it just seems a little bit too convenient for me um just considering how the the form has just started to shift slightly up i would say slightly up um and like ralph randick said i think united were um gaining one point rather than dropping three points so i think it's, it's it sets potentially a dangerous precedent for the rest of the teams just because obviously having a covid outbreak is the only reason why a team should be able to postpone a game it seemed like when it first started to happen around 10 15 days ago there was clear evidence it seemed from the premier league and the premier league seemed to be very very uh, harsh and stringent on which teams qualified for it which teams didn't um some teams were having games postponed two days uh, two hours sorry before it actually kicked off and now it just seems like teams are allowed to kind of put in a request if they need to and they're able to just move the game to another week for me it seems a little bit too convenient and i wouldn't be surprised if if the rules are starting to be bent bent a little bit too much right now rather than actually the main cause of why games should be postponed and that's way too many covid cases rather than too many injuries well rules are there to be broken as the old saying goes jim but i guess i can see joel's point but i can also see the other side of the coin from those of Newcastle United persuasion, where it's a case of they don't have their three best players. And if they can only field 13 players and a goalkeeper and you've got, I don't know, 10 players out with COVID and another five out with injury, it's you can't field a team, which I guess is the point of the, the cancellation is that they can't field a team. So I guess if you can't field a team, some people would argue that you need to be punished for, for not being able to feel the team and you need to lose points and forfeit the game and then you get down this horrible rabbit hole of what's fair for one team isn't fair for another and we get into these silly silly arguments and you know COVID is affecting everyone but when it comes to the injuries thrown into the mix as Joel says as well that seems to be what's really causing the concern and the frustration among some fans. It's really difficult isn't it because we are living in remarkable times and facing challenges that we have never faced before in football and in terms of the world and this situation, I guess, falls into that category because normally if it was purely down to the injuries, you say tough, this is your problem. You play the game or you'll forfeit the game. And that's as simple as it comes because you should be able to put a football team out, whether it's full of your first teamers or your reserve team or you have to dip into the academy. It's one of the reasons that football clubs have academies to bring talent through and to give them opportunities. So that's kind of one side of it. Then you throw COVID into the scenario and it completely changes everything because you're wiping out huge swathes of your team but ultimately I think it does feel like the rules are being bent slightly in Newcastle's favour here because the rules are there to protect players from contracting COVID and to give teams a fair scenario if they have a outbreak of COVID in order to keep the league going so you should my kind of feeling is it should be looked at in two separate things. So if 
Newcastle United have enough COVID cases to trigger that magic number that the Premier League have set there where there's a certain percentage of your squad that needs to be available or whatever it is, then the game should be going ahead. And the injuries that Newcastle have, albeit disastrous at the moment with their key players being out, that should kind of be a separate issue because I think it sets a slightly dangerous precedent of where we are right now because it allows teams to be manipulate the rules in their favor basically because it's very it's very, you can prove a covid case you can go right here is the results here's the positive test injuries are much more tricky and they could get a bit ryan gigs on it couldn't they in terms of going oh this guy's not available or these players aren't available so we need to have a postponement which is a which might be of their advantage basically so i think it's a dangerous scenario to be in and it feels to me like the game should go ahead providing the COVID cases that Newcastle have don't go above that limit. I also think it's an element of luck as well. I think last season in the championship, Derby County had a massive COVID outbreak and had to field their youngsters, particularly remember one FA Cup game. And also they played a few championship games as well with youngsters. Might have been right at the start of the season and um, they ended up getting absolutely hammered two or three times. And yet when they managed to get first team players back, they were playing in games and being far more competitive. And those teams that were coming up against them were saying, well, hang on, that's not fair. These other sides in the league have faced a weakened derby and we're facing a f- much stronger derby. So how is that fair? But I guess it's just part of the luck of it. And like you say, we are living in extraordinary circumstances at the moment. Um, we should mention that Newcastle United's next game, which was due to be on Thursday against Everton, has been called off due to those injuries. So they don't play now until the 2nd of January against Southampton. But Everton against Newcastle, that was due to be played on the 30th, which is tomorrow, that game is off due to, uh, I think, uh, Newcastle being ineligible or unable to field a team so that's how things are looking as for tonight the 29th of December it's tough keeping up with all the leagues I tell you Uh, two games tonight Chelsea against Brighton Brentford against Man City we've spoken about Man City already on today's show we know that Brentford as well uh, haven't had the greatest time of it lately with Covid and of course with their form so let's just focus on Chelsea against Brighton for now Joel Um, Brighton picked up their first win in the Premier League since September recently. As for Chelsea, they've lost a little bit of form, but they did pick up a good win against Aston Villa as well um, just after Christmas. Uh, Chelsea need to win, don't they? Because now Liverpool have dropped points. They can really exercise their muscles in this title race and reclaim second place. Yeah, and I was worried for Chelsea a little bit, um, especially in the December. Well, not worried for them. I don't care if they drop points. (laughs) Uh, But worried for the form a little bit, just because, you know, they were... In that, that December period, it was after the Manchester United game when they drew that game and they just went on a, such a poor run of form where, you know, they drew against United and then they drew against Zenit in Russia, which meant that they finished second in the Champions League group. And then from then on, it just was a bit of a snowball effect where they were never retaining leads that they were taking games. Um, and it's only just recently that they've actually managed to start plucking up some results. Obviously, the last game against Aston Villa uh, on Boxing Day was their their last they they played very well that game actually Uh, obviously Lukaku's back for the first time in a good two months which I think has been a massive plus for them Uh, and obviously I think and he absolutely bulldozed his way through Joel didn't he for that that uh, penalty that he won obviously he scored the header and completely outmuscled Tyro Mings and then um, just when he picked up the ball on the halfway line or the ball was played through to him he showed his pace and his strength and his ability um, and just completely dominated that second half made such a difference for Chelsea. And we said before that if they're going to do anything in this title race, they need Lukaku to score some goals. And 
he's just starting to show what he's capable of again. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, just before he came on, they had Christian Pulisic as an almost false nine before that. And of course, you'll never see that kind of play when he's on the pitch. Same with probably um, Timo Werner as well. Obviously, he didn't play, but you're not getting the same characteristics from those strikers that Thomas Tuchel actually brought Lukaku in to actually do. And for two months, they've missed that which has been massive. But I think for me, and I think we discussed it on a previous podcast, I think the big thing for, for Chelsea is the fact that they've got Jorginho and Kante back uh, in the midfield, which I think in the last games where they were actually dropping points, they were losing the midfield battle every single game. And with Jorginho and Kante, obviously Jorginho doesn't miss a penalty unless he's in a European final. Um, so Jorginho and Kante are just the kind of metronome, aren't they? They just complement each other so well. And when you've got those two in the middle alongside Lukaku, I think I'd be interesting to see what kind of run Chelsea can now put together now that they've got, you know, the player that they played paid a hundred million for last summer and really haven't gotten a glimpse of him yet, to be honest. Um, and obviously a fully strength midfield, which is probably even more important, I would say. So they have a good run of fixtures to come now. And with the with Chelsea dropping points, and obviously Arsenal are now breathing down the necks a little bit. I think they're only uh, six points off the second. It's it's a pivotal time for Chelsea to start continuing this run of form because those games those games that they dropped points in um, in early December, late November, they could come back to haunt them if they don't take the chances in the next few games. So. I would expect them to go in a decent run of form now. I think Lukaku will probably come into his own a little bit, um, which is what he was bought for. And, you know, he is guaranteed goals, especially against these kind of weaker sides where he can show how intelligent he is as a striker in terms of the positions he takes up. But as well, he's he's just very dominant up front. And I think they've missed that so much, just that presence as a, of a striker there. What is it now that Chelsea need to do Jim, it's so obvious to say just win, but I mean, should they be smelling blood now that Liverpool have dropped some points? Because I think Chelsea have been the ones that have languished in recent weeks. Too many draws, a couple of defeats. What do you think needs to happen now? Is it just about being ruthless and smelling blood, much like we see Liverpool and Manchester City do on a weekly basis? I think that's it. And we talk about Chelsea's form of late not being great, but they've not let too many results pass them by they have drawn a few they've got the same record as Liverpool in terms of wins draws losses and you certainly wouldn't level that at Liverpool that they've been out of form but I think what I want to see from Chelsea is I want to see a little bit more dominance I want to see them be a bit more ruthless with their wins because there seems to be a few games this season that they've snuck past so it's taken a I can't remember the amount of penalties Jorginho's had that have won games this season they seem to be becoming the masters of the late penalty or the late winner which I guess is credit to Thomas Tuchel because he's managing to get these wins out of potentially negative situations but I think we need to see a couple of dominant displays we need to see a couple of like like we've seen from City and like we've seen from Liverpool those kind of four nils those five nils because I think that will raise the confidence in the Chelsea camp and that will help them on the run-in but the most important thing at the moment with Liverpool dropping points and now being level is to capitalise on that, gain that second position, and then you begin to focus on Manchester City at the top. I was going to say, we've not seen Chelsea demolish anyone this season, but then I remembered they beat Norwich 7-0, but also everyone beats Norwich 7-0. Yeah, don't count. Apparently the Norwich fans in the away end at Crystal Palace the other day were singing, um, how 
It must you be you've not scored this half, which is always a good little <laughs> chant, self-deprecating. Um, but yeah, Norwich City really struggling at the moment, but it is Chelsea in action tonight against Brighton and Hove Albion, whilst Brentford host Manchester City. Those games still on as things stand, and there are still some games taking place over the next few days, uh, the majority of which will take place on the 1st and 2nd of January. We'll have full previews of those games on this podcast. So if you hit subscribe, that way you won't miss an episode again. Thank you very much, Joel. Thank you very much, Jim. We'll let you get back to your leftover pigs in blankets and cheese Can boards. I just say one more very contentious point mentioning pigs in blankets? I mean, I'm vegetarian now, so I don't eat them. But I've always thought pigs in blankets are the most overrated Christmas food. They're not that nice. Everyone raves about pigs in blankets, but the combination of sausage and bacon is not as nice as sausage and bacon separately. There we go. I've said it. Ending the podcast on a very controversial note. That's fine. That's fine. We'll just be we'll be uh, overwhelmed with pigs in blankets fan mail by the time we open our inbox tomorrow morning. <laughs> All right, Jim. Thanks for your Christmas dinner opinions. We can have more football opinions on tomorrow's podcast, Football Social Daily. Back again. Make sure you hit subscribe, and that way you won't miss us. We'll speak to you then. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.